the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, October 16th. I'm Terry Aranga, here with my guest, Wendy Fournier. Wendy Fournier is the president of the National Autism Association, which provides important advocacy and services to children with autism and their families, especially in keeping kids safe, which is what we're talking about today. Welcome, Wendy. Hi, Terry. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for being on and all of the wonderful work you've been doing all of these years. Wendy, children with autism are eloping, wandering, drowning, and dying. Wendy, you and Lori McElwain have followed this every day. Just from the National Autism Association's observation, what's the scope of the problem? We think it's enormous. We are tracking all of the wandering stories that hit the media which we believe is a very small fraction of the total number of stories. Um, And we're getting one or two two media stories of children that have gone missing almost every day, Um, children dying frequently. This year, in the last year, the mortality rate from drowning following a, a wandering issue um, is double that of what it was last year. So it seems like we're hearing more and more of these tragedies that are, are happening with wandering incidents. And since we started tracking them, we're just really blown away. There are hundreds of stories out there in the news. Um, you know, a lot of young children especially are dying, but there's also a lot of stories about teenagers. And um, And one of the things that I don't think has been talked about enough is the fact that we have uh, teenagers who may be consider- considered more higher functioning who are wandering um, and eloping, and because of their age, we might be fooled into thinking that they may have better coping skills. Um, but what we need to keep in mind in these cases in particular is the cognitive age of these kids that are wandering. There was a case recently uh, with a 17-year-old who had the cognitive functioning level of uh, a four-year-old. So this is something that search and rescue personnel, um, you know, first responders all need to keep in mind when there's an incident, um, you know, when they're searching for someone. Cognitive functioning is more important than chronological age with these cases. And that's something, too, to remember if someone sees uh, a youngster or a teenager Walking alone, how can someone, a passerby, differentiate between an individual who's okay walking on their own and an individual with autism who's wandered? That's a big challenge, and um, you know we've had a lot of a lot of similar cases where you have a child who looks typical, you know. Our kids with autism typically don't look any different than any other kids, and so you may see a 10-year-old walking down the street 
and could easily assume that they're walking to a friend's house and that they're perfectly fine. You would have no way of knowing that their uh, level of functioning was impaired or that they might be lost or confused or, in, you know, at risk. And so really, you know, the best thing that we can do as parents is to make sure that we have some, sor- some form of identification on our children. And there are a lot of different options that you can use for ID. Um, you could <clears throat> put on a, a medical ID bracelet or another type of ID bracelet um, indicating that the child has autism, possibly, you know, something as simple as a silicone wristband saying that the individual has autism. There are um, shoe ID tags that are very bright and will stand out for kids who can't tolerate a wristband. There are new products on the market like stickers um, where you can create a QR code um, and also iron-on uh, iron on uh labels that you can put right onto our kids' clothes that will indicate that the child has autism and if they're lost, you know, please contact the phone number that's listed. So some sort of identification on our kids is absolutely imperative that if they do become lost or someone suspects that there may be an issue where this child is at risk, they will have be able to make quick contact with the caregivers. But someone driving by in a car... Um, although um, it is important for us to do that, someone driving by in a car may not see that. And, in fact, uh, there is risk of, in addition to drowning, traffic injuries. And we'll talk about that in a little bit from the study in, in pediatrics. Um, let's, let's get into that now. That study was called Occurrence and Family Impact of Elopement in Children with Autism Spectrum Disorders. Who was most instrumental, Wendy, in getting it off the ground? Um, actually, the National Autism Association. We um, had been paying attention to wandering cases and had personal experiences with our own kids started noticing that this was happening more and more. Kids were dying, and we felt like there was well, we knew that there was no attention being brought to this issue and that there were no resources available to parents to help them to put strategies into place to protect their kids, to keep them from wandering. And also, there was nothing out there on the response side. So first responders um, were not aware of the issue and didn't know the specific challenges that are faced when you're searching for someone who has an autism diagnosis. So uh, Lori McElwain, our executive director, had written a statement to the Interagency Autism Coordinating Committee at NIH back in 2010, alerting them to the issue and the importance of it and the fact that kids were dying. And they invited us to come and give a presentation to their committee, um, which we did in depth. We told them what we knew about the problem, what we suspected was the scope of the problem, and the need for resources uh, to help families and to protect these kids. And one of the things that we had asked for on that day was <clears throat> was data so that we would know exactly, you know, how many kids are at risk here and, you know, what exactly is the scope of the problem. So uh, the IAC committee had some meetings and, you know, kind of debated back and forth. There was actually a little bit of disagreement on whether or not they should even get involved in this issue. Um, But aside from that, 
some of the members of the committee, including Lynn Redwood and Jerry Dawson and Allison Singer um, and myself decided we were going to go ahead and try to get a study done. And we managed to have that funded within a day by reaching out to fellow organizations and contacts. And we got the ball rolling and had this study conducted through the, um, through the Ian Network at Kennedy Krieger. So we made that happen very, very quickly. And um, I'm very pleased that the study was done as fast as it was because we did need this data quickly. And then to have it published in the Journal of Pediatrics is a very big accomplishment uh, because this journal obviously is read by pediatricians all across the country. And one of the findings from this study was that that parents were not getting information on wandering or the dangers of elopement from professionals that they were dealing with on their children. So this is a great way to educate professionals. And then, yeah, the, as a corollary, uh, and it's huge that it was in pediatrics, absolutely huge and wonderful that the National Autism Association spearheaded this, really, really hats off to you for this. There's no organization, even before this, there's no organization anywhere that does more to promote these child safety issues than the National Autism Association. And you mentioned uh, Lori, NAA's executive director, Lori McElwain, really pours her all into this. And now we have this study in pediatrics that that shows that parents' concerns about wandering, about elopement, are legitimate and, um, you know, they're not bad parents, and we're going to get into that uh, a little bit later, too. So, Wendy, what did the study find? The key findings of the study showed that 49% of children with autism had wandered or eloped from a safe environment. So half of our kids are at risk. And um, that, was, that was very, obviously, that's very concerning. There are a lot of kids with autism in this country. It looked at the age groups where wandering incidents happened more frequently, which was between four and seven years old. That's when they seemed to, to peak. Um, and they tended to go down as the child went older and then spiked back up in their teenage years a little bit. So that was interesting to look at as well. But 32% of the parents um, who were involved in this survey questionnaire said that their child had a close call with drowning. And, you know, this is the number one cause of death that we're finding in, in people with autism. We, in our own data that NAA has been keeping, we found that 91% of wandering-related deaths between 2009 and 2011 were due to drowning. So this is a huge issue. And, you know, many of our kids are very attracted to water. I know mine is. Um, when she has attempted to elope out of the house in the past, it's been to try to get to a neighbor's swimming pool. Um, so it just showed us, you know, what, what we need to do as parents to help to keep our kids safe. And with the drowning statistics, I mean, first and foremost, we have got to teach our kids how to swim. We have to make sure that they have access to swimming lessons and that they learn how to swim and that their last lesson, their last swimming lesson is with clothes and shoes on because they may be in a scenario where they are in water fully dressed. 
so we want to make sure that they can swim. <clears throat> Knowing how to swim alone is not necessarily going to keep them from having a drowning accident, <clears throat> but it's going to definitely keep them safer and is one of the primary things that, that we focus on and start on the prevention side, things that parents need to do. Um, another really interesting finding that I think is extremely important is that more than a third of the children who we loved were either not able to communicate their name, address, and telephone number at all or were rarely able to communicate that information. So this brings up the scenario again, if somebody finds this child wandering uh, and they are not able to communicate their name or phone number, if they do not have some sort of visible ID on their body, it's going to be extremely difficult to get that child back to wherever they belong. So that was, you know, that's something else that we need to keep in mind. You know, another problem is, is quality of life, and this was addressed in the survey. 40% of the parents had slept, suffered sleep uh, disruption due to fear of elopement. And we have, you know, parents who get in touch with us all the time and who say, I have to sleep on the floor outside of my child's bedroom door, or I have to sleep on the couch and have it placed in front of the front door at night because I'm afraid that they're going to get out of the house at night. So it really does disrupt your quality of life. Right, and I hope that you don't think that I was downplaying what you said before about wearing ID. Uh, it's it's very important for somebody to be able to identify a child if they notice a child who's wandering. Um, but two, your emphasis on prevention is paramount because. How do we prevent the child from being hit by that car on the highway first or right. drowning in that swimming, swimming pool first before they're found? Right. And when, when the study came out, um, I saw a lot of media coverage on this study, which made me really happy. Um, but I also noticed that there were a lot of calls for the response side of the wandering issue you know, educating first responders and, and parents on how to quickly respond to a wandering incident. And that is, of course, hugely important. But for me as a parent, the prevention side has to come first because I want to keep that incident from happening in the first place. So this is where NAA has developed tools for parents to use and to incorporate uh, in their homes and strategies that they can use to try to minimize uh, the wandering attempts by their children. And that will certainly improve quality of life and and save a life. And we will talk more about that when we come back from break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Wendy Fournier, President of the National Autism Association. We'll be right back. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260 day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? 
Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Wendy Fournier, president of the National Autism Association, on the extremely important topic of safety and particularly uh, elopement, wandering, and deaths that result from that and can, in fact, be prevented. We are looking at the study Occurrence and Family Impact of Elopement in Children with Autism Spectrum Disorders, which the National Autism Association really spearheaded, uh, was the impetus for getting that study going, and it's published in pediatrics and is going to be an extremely useful tool for families touched by autism. Wendy, that study cited that the risk goes up with autism severity, and why do you think that is? I, I think, you know, in my opinion, it is because the higher the level of impairment, it seems like the lower understanding our kids have of possible danger, you know, fear, uh, prediction of bad things happening. It's like our, our kids really just don't have that sense of fear. It's, it's impaired in them. And another aspect of it, I think, is really the fight-or-flight reflex that our kids have. And it, it depends on the type of wandering or elopement incident that's happening and what was the trigger of that. So if it's a child who has suddenly becomes overwhelmed from a sensory aspect and feels the need to run away from where they are, let's say there's too many people, there's too much noise, and they will bolt away, nothing is going to stop them from going. Their fight-or-flight reflex takes over, and they're not going to be able to sort out in their mind I shouldn't be doing this right now because I could get hit by a car. You know, that sense of danger is just not there in our kids. And there's perfectly happy kids who wander too, yes? Yes, yes, absolutely. There are kids who wander. They may get something in their head where they they want to go somewhere, maybe the local park or the carousel um, or a friend's house, and they're just going to go there. Um, and it may not be driven by emotional, you know, triggers 
or that fight or flight reflex, but it may be just something that they have a very strong desire to do. They're pointed and and they're going. Yeah, we know friends who, uh, you know, their child just wanted to look at particular street signs or another friend's child, uh, older child, <laughs> wanted to go find a book in a neighbor's house. Um, so it could be perfectly, you know, happy happy kids too. Um you had mentioned the very important point, Wendy, of teaching your kids to swim while they are dressed. Because if they've wandered, you know, it's, there's a likelihood that they were dressed when they wandered and they're going to need to be able to negotiate that situation of being in a body of water, a lake, a pool, with their clothing on. But what if somebody says, well, you know, there you have it, just teach all the kids to swim. What if, but what if they have a seizure in the pool or what else could happen? That's it. It's not, you know, it's not enough. It's not enough that they just know how to swim. That in itself is not going to necessarily prevent drowning accidents from happening. But it certainly does lessen the risk if they do get into a body of water to, you know, know that they have some capability of getting themselves out. You just don't know. You know, there are too many variables that can come into play, and it depends on what where they are what type of body of water they've, they've gone into. You know, is there a current? Is, there, is it a river? Is it freezing cold? You right. know, I, I think of some of the cases that we've had, <clears throat> you know, especially the winter cases, and it's just absolutely horrifying, the things that can happen. There are, there are a number of steps that you can take to, to try to minimize your child's risk, and we have put all of this together for parents. And it really has, you have got to take a multi-layered approach to safety. Not just, you know, don't just teach your child to swim and think that that's the end of it. There are so many layers of safety that have got to be incorporated. And nothing is foolproof, whether it's, you know, the swimming lessons, door alarms, tracking devices on the child. There, there is nothing that is 100% foolproof or fail-proof. So yeah, even, you just need to incorporate as much as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that even we as neurotypical adults, allegedly, you know, knowing what to do all the time, even we, you know, forget to do things from time to time or, yeah. uh, you know, ha- have to, to check ourselves. So how much more for someone who's at uh, a cognitive age uh, that's younger than they should be? Wendy, we talked about um, the risk going up with autism severity and such, and, but this report said that, quote, unaffected siblings had significantly lower rates of elopement across all ages compared with children with ASD, autism spectrum disorder. So right. what does this tell us about the parenting skills of parents whose children with autism wander? This was a question that um, that we really wanted to be included in this study because a lot of times when a child goes missing, blame is placed on the parents. Why weren't they watching them closer? How could a parent not be paying attention to their child? Um, a lot of times the blame is put on the parent. And mind you, children don't just wander from home. Many of these incidents happen from a school setting or a caregiver setting as well. But the reason why that question was so important to us to be included in the study was to show that it's not parent neglect. So the parents 
who, in addition to their child with autism, also have neurotypical children. The children with autism wandered four times, were four times more likely to wander than the children without autism. So this is not a case of neglectful parents not keeping an eye on their parents and or on their children. And what I really want to want to stress is, you know, for people who don't know and have not experienced this, it is absolutely terrifying. And you can lose your child in the blink of an eye. There have been cases where, you know, a, a caregiver will look away for 30 seconds and their child is nowhere to be seen. There was a very tragic case, um, a little girl named Savannah, who wandered out of the house while her mom was in the bathroom. And, you know, these are the kind of things that it's not possible for any parent. I don't care if you're a parent of a child with autism or not. As a parent, it is physically impossible to keep your eyeballs on your child 24 hours a day, you know, every single second. There are going to be times when they will be out of your sight. This is not a case of bad parenting. This is a case of a behavior that is very common in children that are diagnosed with autism, and we need to incorporate as many supports and resources to these families to help keep their kids as safe as possible. And that is illustrated by the contrast that the parent who has a neurotypical uh, child, an unaffected sibling, and the child with autism, the, the unaffected sibling, the neurotypical sibling, is fine. They're not a bad parent. This is, this is a manifestation. This is something that goes along um, with the autism. It's an, an outgrowth from the autism. So, but in many cases, so, so here you have the tragedy that your child has gotten out. Mm-hmm. Something horrible may have happened to your child. And then authorities get involved and... If your child gets out, you're called a neglectful parent. But if you're trying to prevent that and you put up an extra latch, you can be called an abusive parent. And as you mentioned, there are parents who cannot even use the restroom. And the tragic story for that child, for that parent, whose mom went to, to go, just went to pee. And so... How do we educate judgmental, unenlightened administrators about autism so that they offer support rather than condemnation? Well, that was one of the reasons why we needed this study to come out because now we have data to back up what we've been saying where we can now educate. You know, let's, let's take CPS workers, for example. You have a social worker that's working with your family. They come into your home and they see that you have two-keyed, you know, deadbolt locks and you have um, chain locks and you have whatever. I have six locks on my front doors, you know. I mean, in my house, fire safety issue comes secondary to the very strong likelihood that if those locks are not employed, my daughter will manage to escape out of the house and put herself in significant danger. So, you know, educating social workers and people who work with families that are affected by autism is really important. And this data will help us to educate them and show this is a very serious problem. So work with the families 
to put supports into place and help them to keep that child safe. Understand why you're seeing these things in the home and offer support and understanding. You know, there's a tragic case going on in Canada with a, a little girl named Ayn who has been away from her father for, I think it's been a year now, because of a wandering incident. And this is a, a great, wonderful, loving father of three children. And this child has been taken away, and uh, it's, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. Instead of offering support for the family and trying to help keep this child safe, they have destroyed this family's entire life. So educating social workers is way up on the top of the list, and I'm hoping that this study is going to help us to accomplish this. Also, Terry, there's a, there's a diagnosis code now for wandering, which was another thing that we had advocated for. So that, you know, if you do have a child that's at serious risk, you can discuss with their doctor whether or not it's appropriate for them to have a diagnosis code of wandering. And, you know, when you have a situation with a social worker or with a school district who's not willing to put safety strategies into place and an IEP, that kind of thing, this could be a helpful tool to help back up the need for um, for safety. You're right. That's a wonderful way to substantiate the parents' concerns. And, Wendy, thank you so much for reminding me about that and reminding listeners about that because NEA was huge in getting that diagnostic code to go through. Y'all have really been moving mountains, and what's more than even doing those important things is that you did it with administrators. Um, it's just it's just really huge. Um, so as cognitively young as, as the kids may be, they're like they can be like Harry Houdini when it comes to locks. So yes. we're going to talk more about additional safety measures and the big red safety box program when we come back from break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Check out the website during the break, www.nationalautismassociation.org. We'll be back talking about the big red safety box project. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for New Reflections featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skin care to plastic surgery, health and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. 
We are back with Wendy Fournier, the president of the National Autism Association, www.nationalautismassociation.org, talking about the vital issue of child safety, children dead in the snow, children drowned in pools, children hit on the highway and killed. This is not a designer diagnosis. This is part of what happens with autism. And the National Autism Association does no, there's no organization anywhere that does more to promote uh, help for these child safety issues. And we've talked about NAA getting the diagnostic code put through, spearheading the study for pediatrics. And the National Autism Association also has the Big Red Safety Box Project. So, Wendy, please tell us about that and how families have been helped. Okay. I love this program. This was uh, Lori McElwain's idea, and we started this um, with a grant that we got from the Child Welfare Foundation. So what we wanted to be able to do was to provide families with a toolkit that included resources that they could start using right away in their home to help keep their child safe. And we we wanted this resource to be available for free because we know that um, so many families are just having incredible financial difficulty. Um, so we didn't want families to have to pay for this, but we wanted to be able to provide it. So, so we put together a kit of materials, uh, checklists and um, brochures and general information about wandering for parents. We created a family wandering emergency plan that parents can fill out so that they will be prepared if there is a wandering incident and can have a quick, you know, effective response. We created a first responder form that parents can fill out to give to their local police department so that they have information on file on their child. Should they go missing, they can pull it up immediately and know exactly who they're looking for and the likely places where their child would go so they know where to look first. And by the way, number one rule, search water first. Always search water first, no matter what. We um, created a sample IEP letter because a lot of us have had difficulty getting safety strategies implemented during the school day. So we have a sample letter that you can bring to your IEP meeting and uh, discuss with your child's team at school. Um, Also in the box, we have two uh, battery-operated door or window alarms that will chime very loudly if the door or window is opened. These things are um, so effective. They are incredibly loud. And this is a very simple tool. It it can be installed just by sticking sticking it onto uh, your door jams and your door. Uh, we also include an ID tag. Um, this last round of Big Red Safety Boxes that we did, we have a road ID tag um, that is engraved, personalized with your child's specific information, and it can be attached to their shoes. So this would apply for kids who had sensory issues and would not be able to wear a wristband. We have these, these shoe tags that come along with the box, and I love these. We put in um, laminated adhesive stop signs. This is such so simple, and this is something that parents can even make their on their own. Just go Google stop sign, grab a picture, and print it out, and you can stick these things on any any doors or windows 
that your child uh, may typically try to elope from. And just that visual prompt in, in itself can be enough to possibly stop the incident from happening at all or at least slow the child down. So we include five of those in the safety box. We put window clings in there, <clears throat> one for the home, one for the car, that will alert uh, first responders who, who may, you know, let's say you're in a car accident uh, or there's uh, an issue at your home, you're going to have a sticker to alert first responders that there is someone with autism in the home who may not be able to respond to verbal commands. And then we also have um, a bright red uh, wristband, a safety alert wristband that the child can wear indicating that they have autism. So we put everything together in these boxes, these big red boxes, and then we work with a wonderful company called Shares out in the Midwest who employs adults with autism and other developmental disabilities, and they actually put these boxes together for us and get them prepared to ship, and then they ship these um, to the families that they're awarded to at no charge. So to date, we have been able to provide 5,000 families with big red safety boxes. So we're really thrilled to be able to do this program and um, so proud of Lori McElwain for, for coming up with this and, and making it happen and very grateful for the financial re- uh, support that we've received. They're actually very expensive uh, for us to put together. Um, so we've had sponsors and some grant money that we've been able to put into this, and uh, it's just been wonderful. And it all goes back to the kids and families. And, Wendy, can you tell us about AWARE, A-W-A-A-R-E? Mm-hmm. Yes, we started the AWARE initiative um, because we wanted to have one place where people could go, whether they were caregivers, parents, first responders, doctors, teachers, uh we wanted one place where people could go for information on wandering. So we created aware.org, it's A-W-A-A-R-E.org. And with, um, with the support of other organizations, including Autism One, several other organizations uh, jumped on board to help us to promote this website and make sure that these resources get out to the community where they're needed. So now at aware.org, we have a lot of resources um, for all of those groups that I mentioned. And that is like a one-stop shop for information on autism-related wandering. Our most recent addition to that AWARE website is um, that we created digital Big Red Safety Toolkits um, because the Big Red Safety Boxes are absolutely fantastic um, but very, very expensive. So. When we have funding, we're able to ship these out. Right now, we've exhausted our funding and we're back into the fundraising stage for this program. But in the meantime, we wanted to have something that we could provide um, to families now who need information right now. So we took a lot of the individual materials that we had created for the Big Red Safety Box and for the AWARE website, and we put everything into one PDF document, and it's called the Big Red Safety Toolkit. We have two versions of it. One is for caregivers, then the other is for first responders. And included in that first responder toolkit is a document that um, was just published by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, And it's a national directive and guidelines for search and rescue personnel on how to conduct a search 
for someone who has autism. So we worked with them and, and have been working with them for quite some time. We, they've been a great partner to us um, and actually will be at our conference in November with us um, at you know, really helping to keep, keep this issue in the forefront with first responders and helping us to train first responders on the specific challenges um, involved in a search for someone with autism. So the Big Red Safety Toolkits are available to anyone at any time. They are absolutely free. You can just go to aware.org and download it right away. And I would suggest for, for parents who get the Caregiver Toolkit to please also download a copy of the First Responder Toolkit and to share that with their local uh, sheriff's department or police department. All right. And how can listeners help the Big Red Safety Box program? If you go to the NAA website at nationalautism.org, there's a link to the Big Red Safety Box program right on the front page, and um, there's an option to donate there as well. So um, people who want to make a donation, certainly very much appreciated. Uh, The cost of the boxes for all of the components and, and including free shipping to families runs us about $35 each. Wow. Um, So for, yeah, they're... This is an expensive program. Um, so, you know, if you choose to donate $35, you can actually help us to provide one of these for free for a family who cannot afford the resources. Um, we also started a, uh, or opened up, I should say, a big red safety shop within the NAA website. And in there we have safety items that can be purchased really inexpensively and separately. So a lot of the stuff that we do include in the big red safety box you can purchase from the website, and you can just go to bigredsafetyshop.com for a direct link to there. But there are IDs in there, and this, the visual aid stop signs and alarms, uh, things that, that are helpful in preventing wandering incidents. Right. You know, but there's, there's reading that has to be done, too. You know, it's not just, let me get these alarms and stick them, you know, on my door. There are things like strategies that can be put into place. And I, I want to give you a quick example because I think this is so important and something that a lot of parents don't think about. If you have a child who is attracted to water, um, we're going to go with the water thing just for an example, and they're constantly trying to elope to get to a water source, whether it's a lake or a swimming pool, whatever. You, need, you may find it very helpful to incorporate sort of, you know how we do sensory diets for our kids with autism? Right. You would want to do sort of a diet for whatever it is that they're seeking so that they, you would incorporate a schedule for swimming. If that's what they want, they want water time, then incorporate a a schedule for that and say, okay, we're going to go swimming three days a week. This is when we're going to go. And you get the child into the routine of knowing that they're going to be able to get what they're seeking on a schedule, in a safe way, with mom, with dad, so that they know they're going to have it. And then that will lessen their desire to bolt to it. You know, so there's so many strategies, and all of this stuff is covered in the resources that we've, we've created for families. Well, we're going to skip the break here and just go right into asking what the first five things were so a parent should do right now, right after we hang up from the show, to start making their child safer. You've alluded to a bunch of them. What are the first things to do? 
right after you and I start talking and even before. Okay. The first thing to do is go to aware.org, A-W-A-A-R-E.org. Right in the middle of the homepage, you will see a link for Caregiver Toolkit. Go there and download it because that's going to give you all of the information that we have. So number one would be go download that that caregiver checklist. Number two would be making sure that your child knows how to swim. Um, Go through the checklist that we have so that you can successfully secure your home. Do you have locks on the doors that are child-proof? Obviously, that's most important. Um, Do you monitor your child's abilities to get through different safety uh, strategies that you have set up in the house. For example, you may have uh, a hook and eye, eye lock that your child has never been able to get through, but next week suddenly they can reach it and they can get through it. It's, it takes constant monitoring, so make sure that you periodically are looking at what you have in place. Talk to your first responders. Let them know that your child is at risk. Um, and make sure that they know about your child ahead of time. It's a lot easier to deal with a police department or a sheriff's department if your child goes missing if you've already had a prior conversation with them. And, it, and that's another thing that comes back to the, the perception that um, parents are being neglectful with their child. If you had already had a conversation with your police department saying, my child is at risk of wandering and elopement, I want you to have this information should something happen, then they're going to be much more understanding and know exactly where to go looking for your child should they go missing. So that's an important aspect of getting to know your local first responders. Talk to your neighbors. If they see your child out wandering in the neighborhood, talk to your trusted neighbors and let them know that your child is at risk and should they see them walking down the street to please bring them back home. You talked about the first thing that emergency workers should do is to check bodies of water. So are there any things in addition to that? Yes. They need to listen to the parents, absolutely listen to the parents. So there have been situations that we know of in the past where first responders, you know, they... They're all trained. They, they're professionals. They know how to do a search and rescue for somebody. But the thing is, it's a little bit different when you're dealing with someone who has autism, especially someone who is nonverbal and is not going to be able to respond when someone's calling their name or searching for them. So it's really important for the first responders to not only check water first, go to nearby, nearby water sources first, but to actually dispatch personnel to stay there just yeah. in case. You know, the child may not be there yet, but that still may be where they're going. Right. And then talking to the parents about what are the child's attractions and what are their fears. Because if they're searching, for example, if they're using dogs and the child is absolutely terrified of dogs, that's going to drive the child further and further away from the search team. If they love dogs, then great. You want to use dogs. The child may have, um, you know, aversions to sirens um, or a helicopter. I mean, there are so many things that come into play. So by talking to the caregivers, the first responders are going to know what will be helpful and what what will be hurtful in the search. It may be, um, you know, 
a certain kind of music that might draw a child's attention. There was a very high-profile case not too long ago where searchers used Ozzy Osbourne music that the child really liked, and that actually drew him out from the woods. Wow. So talking to the caregivers can shed a lot of light on the best way to locate the child with autism. Yes. Tell us about uh, the equipment and programs out there to find children that parents can obtain <clears throat> and well, to change the batteries. You're talking about tracking equipment? Yeah, things like that. Sorry, I should have let you talk about the batteries. Um, well, there are different types of tracking technologies that are out there. We, you know, as an organization, we prefer programs that are actually run by trained search and rescue professionals. So we like the Project Lifesaver program and we like LoJack Safety Net program because if a child goes missing, you have immediate response from trained professionals, specifically trained on how to find kids with autism. So we, we prefer that. Unfortunately, those services are not available absolutely everywhere. So if your child needs to have a tracking device, uh, and those types of first responder-run programs are not available, you can look at different GPS units. Um, there are so many different ones on the market, Terry, and they, uh, the quality level is, you know, up and down, and it really takes a lot of research on the part of the parent to look at the different features um, of the items that they're considering, tracking devices that they're considering, look at the costs involved, the monthly fees that most of them have, look at how often the unit would have to be charged because if it's sitting on a charger, it's not on your child, and that's time when they are unprotected. That's great. Uh, make, make sure that they're waterproof. Um, you know, I prefer something on my child that I never have to remove. I don't want to take it off when she goes swimming, and I don't want to take it off when she takes a shower. So having something waterproof, in, in my opinion, is is really important for my particular child. But, you know, it's up to the parent to look at that and to determine what features they need and which are most important to them and then make that decision. And you know, if, you're, people, if you're using a GPS unit, then, you know, most of the time you're on your own as far as the search effort goes. You're going to have to do the tracking and the finding of your child. Well, if folks would like to talk to you more about this, they can find you at the National Autism Conference down in uh, Tampa, St. Pete at the beautiful Trade Winds Grand Island Resort, and we'll talk about that for a few minutes uh, in another minute. But I'd like to ask you, Wendy, if you don't know where your child is for X number of minutes, what's the number of minutes where you should be calling emergency personnel? Immediately. It only takes one minute for a child to die. If your child is lost, you you call nine one one first. Yeah, or they Absolutely. they dart in, into that barn. It's how you were talking about the stop sign can delay your child, and those ten minutes can excuse me, those ten seconds can buy their life because mm-hmm. it's ten seconds that they don't dart someplace else out of your sight, and then a minute later get killed on the highway. So yeah, our kids unfortunately they die very very quickly, especially when there's water involved. So you know, better be sa- to be safe than sorry. Call 911 first. You know, if you find your child 30 seconds later, that's okay. You can call them back. But make that phone call. And now you've provided this wonderful tool, this study in pediatrics, 
that validates parents' concerns. So, you know, if you call first responders right away and, you know, they, they come to your house, you have this pediatric study now that shows you're not a neglectful parent. This is a legitimate concern. It's happening mm-hmm. to about half the kids with autism and it's not happening to the neurotypical peers, you know, siblings in your same house. So you're right, and if you're using if you're using our resources, then your first responders will already know about it because you will have previously dropped off a copy of all of this information to them. <laughs> Good point. Well, November eighth through eleventh are the dates for the National Autism Conference in Tampa, St. Pete, at the beautiful Tradewinds Grand Island Resort. What is new at the National Autism Conference this year? Oh, we are excited. Um, we're always excited. This this conference is so much fun for us to put on. But we have a really special speaker coming this year who has not been with us previously. It is Temple Grandin's mom, Eustacia Cutler. And I'm just so excited to have her there because, to me, she's she's like the original mother warrior. And she's going to talk to us about what it was like to have uh, Temple, you know, diagnosed as a child back in the 1950s when so little was known about autism um, and about the struggles that she faced, um, w- even within her own family dynamic, about, um, you know, how Temple's treatment should, should you know, proceed, that kind of thing. Um, so she's going to do a lot of talking about her personal experience and how she just was not going to accept that Temple was not going to be able to lead a productive and, and wonderful life. Um, also, her you know, personal experience, how that all affected her marriage, and, um, and she's going to give us some advice on you know, protecting our family dynamics and the importance of um, you know, dealing with, with typical siblings who you know, may also be involved and trying to keep your marriage strong and together and working as partners and making sure that you're on the same team. And um, I'm, just, I'm just really excited. And what I love about her is I, I've been lucky enough to have a couple of phone conversations with her recently is uh, she just really enjoys being around other autism parents. Uh, you know, just like we do, when we get to the conference, it feels like family. It feels like, you know, there's not a stranger in the place. So Eustacia is going to be staying with us for the entire four days of the conference just so that she can be there and talk to all of the families and, um, you know, just mingle with everyone and and be a real big part of it. So I'm thrilled that she's coming and I can't wait to hear uh, her presentation and her talk for us. Well, she's going to have a wonderful time staying for all four days. I know last year I was there at that relaxing venue and went on the beautiful beach and picked up shells for my son so that I could tell him that I went to the ends of the earth for him. And that's what the National Autism Association is doing for our kids. They're going to the ends of the earth for them to keep them safe. And, Wendy, I just really want to thank you for this extraordinary work on the part of you and Lori McElwain and the other folks at the National Autism Association on this vital issue of child safety. How do folks register for your conference? Just go to nationalautismconference.org. And, um, oh, and if you do that by Thursday, you'll be entered to win one of two fabulous spa packages that we just decided to give away. So a beach treat package at Tradewinds may await you. Oh, 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Sign up now, Terry. Sign up now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to, I will do that after the show, but um, first, I need to go to aware, A-W-A-A-R-E dot org, and look at that checklist. And with that, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us today and giving parents this vital information. Thank you so much, Terry. Really appreciate all of your support and any parents out there who are needing help even developing personalized strategies for their kids, please feel free to get in touch with us. You can email us or call us at any time. We are definitely here to help. Absolutely. To our listeners, next week, Kathy Purple Cherry, Special Needs Architect, is interviewed by Dr. Mary Joanne Lang. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com.